Good morning, Harvest. Hope everybody's doing well today. My name is Blake. Uh, it is my joy to be one of your pastors and also to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. That felt really awesome and really weird to be able to say that uh, for the first time. Uh, a good weird, but a, a weird nonetheless. But anyway, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Uh, we will all be there together in a moment. We're going to reread together as we usually do the passage that Leah just read for us. Uh, but before we get to that, I uh, do just want to pause for a minute and echo what Drew said earlier. What a blessing it is to be in here. Um, I, I'm encouraged by a lot of things today. I'm encouraged that I'm not going to have to worry about putting my hand to my head 18 million times to prevent the wind from blowing my hair all, all over the place. Uh, I'm encouraged that I'm not going to have to have one hand on my Bible and one hand over here scrolling uh, because the wind's going to be blowing to a bunch of different passages, which sometimes I wonder if that's the Holy Spirit trying to direct me a certain way as I'm preaching, but normally it's just making sure I get back to the text. Uh, but most of all, just the encouragement of being able to hear all of us as we sing and just to be able to hear you as we're together in God's Word, to be able to uh, respond to one another and just what a privilege that is that God gives us as people that are His. And so uh, we'll jump to Mark 6 in a minute, but before we get there, uh, let me pause for us and just pray real quick, and then we'll dive in together. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We do thank you for the rain. Father, we need it. Uh, we thank you that you send rain when we need it, and you send it exactly when we need it. And so, Father, may we just pause and just be grateful to you for that today. Father, thank you for that, the circumstances of bringing us inside today to be able to gather together as the body, to be able to be encouraged as the body is called to do, to encourage one another, and what a gift that is. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to those who are discouraged, that it speaks words of encouragement, that it causes us to lift our heads, that it causes us to focus on the one who came to be able to redeem us and to save us and to give us life. And so, Father, may we be encouraged as we look into your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so it is summertime. I know that according to the actual calendar, today is the first day of summer. Uh, but let's all be real for a moment. Um, summer starts right after Memorial Day. So we're a little bit into summer now. Um, and into our rhythm of summer. And I'm sure for many of you guys, it's going to be the same way for the Hickmans. We have a couple of trips that we're going to be taking together this summer, and they're going to be trips of some distance that are going to get us out on the road. And I'm grateful. Um, I know Amber is grateful. Both of us enjoy road trips. We have enjoyed road trips going all the way back to when we were dating in college, when we were uh, in Lynchburg, and we would take a day trip and just drive up to D.C. for the day just to be able to go and experience different things, or my family being in Alabama, her family being in Colorado, uh, times that we would have to drive literally across the country to be able to do things. And we're also grateful that God has made our boys not get annoyed with long road trips, and they tend to enjoy them a little bit as well. And it's just something about adventure and experiencing unfamiliar places and seeing things that are out of our normal routine tends to bring joy to our hearts. And for us, though, no matter how often this happens, and I'm sure it's the same for all of you, when we know that a trip is coming or we know that a journey is something that we're about to set out on, uh, getting into a hurried mode tends to happen. Uh, go mode, right? Point A, point B, get there as fast as possible with as few stops as possible. And hurry naturally seems to build in our hearts and our minds. 
Whether it's just the destination that is ahead of us, someplace that may be exciting, or the rhythm of the road as we get traveling, whatever it may be, we just want to get to where we are going as fast as humanly possible. And anything, whether it's something big, like an accident that may be down the road, or something little, like cars weaving in and out of traffic around us, whether big or little, that distracts us from that goal, is an annoyance at best, or it can cause the whole trip to come apart at worst. And all of this happens by us getting so focused on the destination that we miss everything that might be coming as we are along the journey. As we have said often in our time in Mark's gospel, Mark moves fast. He is all about urgency. He moves us like a car on the Autobahn. We are moving fast in the express lane of this narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus. But we must be careful to not let Mark's urgency to tell us Jesus' story cause us to miss Jesus himself. There is a difference between urgent and expedient. Mark is urgent. He wants us to understand things that are important, but he does not want to he does not want us to do that at such a speed that we miss what is important. And in our text today, we're going to see how allowing ourselves to get caught up in the hurries of life can allow us to miss miraculous things and even to miss encounters with God himself. And so today, we're going to look at these verses again in Mark chapter 6. I invite you to look down there with me, starting there in verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This morning, our outline is pretty simple. We're going to look at who Jesus is, and we're going to look at who we are. And in doing so, we are going to discover a lot about ourselves. But that is never the point of digging deep into God's Word. No, ultimately, we're going to learn much about Jesus. And we start right away there in verse 45. Look there at verse 45 again. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. What is Jesus doing here? Well, what he's doing here is protecting the disciples. And that is something that we see carry over from last week to this week. A shepherd is tasked with protecting his sheep. Last week, as Matthew helped us see the compassion of Jesus and being our good shepherd, we see that carry over this week. Jesus is shepherding still. Now, you may, you may ask, what exactly is Jesus protecting the disciples from? And that's a great question. And the beauty of this passage is, is that it is also mentioned in three of the four Gospels. It's also mentioned in Matthew and in John. And this allows for great continuity and also for the individuality of each author to come through as they tell their story. 
As we've mentioned before, each different gospel writer has their own take on certain events that take place. And with Mark, getting us to the cross is his aim. So many times that means details that we might find in other accounts, they're left out here. So to know what is taking place here with Jesus' urgency in getting the disciples across the lake, we need to go to John chapter 6. John tells us, after the gathering of the leftovers into the baskets, the crowd was ready to move on Jesus because they were sensing who he was. This is what it says in verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 6. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now we'll see this in a moment, but the crowd senses something that the disciples have missed. The crowd is aware of something that the disciples are not even aware of. The crowd knows something amazing has happened. And they're ready to take Jesus and they're ready to make him king. Now what Jesus is protecting the disciples from, we don't know. John is not specific. Mark is not specific. Matthew is not specific. He could have been protecting them from joining in with what the crowd is wanting to do. He could have been protecting them from fighting with the crowd. Whatever the reason, Jesus puts them in the boat and sends them off to sea, and he does this for their protection. Now, since you've heard this text twice now, you might be thinking protection. He's sending them into a whirlwind. You're correct. But as we'll see in a moment, there are worse things than whirlwinds that our hearts need protecting from. So first, here we see a continued compassion from Jesus both with dismissing the crowd and with dismissing the twelve. And so first we see his protection. But next we see Jesus praying. And I hope you know this. It is important for all of us to know that Jesus prayed. Now Mark only records three specific times of Jesus praying. But as Luke lets us know, Jesus would regularly go out to the wilderness to pray. He would withdraw and he would go and spend time alone in prayer. Mark's three times he mentions Jesus praying all surround a time of great ministry output. The first is the calling and the preparation of the twelve. Then we see this one here. And the final one is the prayer in the garden. The point with Mark is that when things were intense for Jesus, he shows us Jesus praying. Before going out to join the disciples on the sea, Jesus spends time with his Father in prayer. And we'll see this again in a bit as well, but a quick point of application here. When life is chaotic and the pressures of life are pressing in on us, when we feel our bandwidth being stretched so thin that it could break at any moment, what is our natural inclination and what is our natural response? Is our heart postured to pause reflect and commune with Jesus? Or is it to press deeper in in our own strength and fight on? When temptation shows up in all of its various forms that it takes to deceive us into choosing lesser loves over our Father's love for us, do we run to God in prayer for help? When we are in need of anything, and I literally mean anything, where do we go and to whom do we rely on? Prayer should never be an afterthought in the life of a believer. 
as Jesus modeled for us, we should be quick to follow. And now we are in the meat of this text, and this is where we see not just what Jesus does, protecting and praying, but we see who Jesus is. And what Jesus reveals about himself here is not shocking or surprising. At least it shouldn't be if we have been paying attention. But apparently it was to the disciples. And a question that we need to wrestle with as we lay this out in these next verses is if it was surprising to these that lived and breathed and ate with Jesus, how can we guard our hearts so that we do not miss who He is as well? And ultimately, the answer to the question of who Jesus is, is that He is. Let's look back to the text here. Mark tells us that it is now late in the evening, and Jesus is alone on the land, and He looks out over the water, and He sees this twelve struggling to get across. Look at verses 47 and 48. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So Jesus looks out over the water to see where the disciples are in their journey across the sea. And he sees that they are making no headway because of the wind. Now you may remember a couple of weeks ago when Matthew preached from Mark 4 on Jesus calming the storm about how boats struggling on the Sea of Galilee was a regular occurrence. Just the way that the water is situated from the shore allowed the wind to rush down from the mountain around and to rush out over the water. And as it did this, the change of elevation and temperature would cause great winds and sometimes great storms to kick up on the sea. So this would not have been unfamiliar to the twelve. Remember, Short time ago, they thought they were going to die in a storm. Now they're just battling the wind. So remember, they are fishermen and, and they are skilled at this. They would know how to behave and how to handle this. This is not like the storm in Mark 4 where they are fearing for their lives. They will be fearing for their lives in a moment, but not because of the weather this time. No, this would have been a very common thing for them to experience and to navigate. A difficult thing to navigate. Let's don't miss that. Let's don't be confused about that. A difficult thing to navigate, but not something that they wouldn't have been prepared to battle. Jesus sees them struggling and he makes his way toward them. Now, before you think this is some small task that we are reading here, you need to know the geography of this lake. At its widest point, the sea was about eight miles across. As you'll hear next week from the text that Matthew is going to continue with, this wind is blowing the disciples off course from where they intended to go. So they are pretty much somewhere in the widest part of the sea at this point. So for Jesus to go out to them, it's not some little wade out in the shallows of the water. No, we're talking like probably four or five miles out to where they are across the sea. And that is exactly what Jesus does here, though. They are struggling on the sea, and he starts walking out towards them. And here we see the compassionate heart of Jesus. He knows where they are. He knows what they are struggling with. And he will make his way to them in the middle of it. In the middle of it. And what Mark tells us next is the most revealing thing. 
Look there, continuing in verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. There is something far more interesting going on here with how Mark words this than just the fact that someone is walking on the water. As amazing as that is. And we will connect this in a moment to what Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand. But look how Mark says that Jesus meant to pass by them. Now let's pause there for a moment. If we read this fast, we can be left thinking, this is pretty unkind of Jesus. So he cares enough about them to look for them on the water. Remember, he comes down from the mountain to pray and he's on the shore alone and he's looking out over the water to see where they are on their journey. So he cares enough about them to look for them. And he cared enough to know where they were struggling. And he cared enough to be moved to go to them. But now that he is out literally walking out to them in the middle of this lake, he wants to just do a little pass by. Just a little honk and wave as he journeys past them in the, in the fast lane. No, that's not what is happening here. There are some who interpret this to be how Peter's impression of what was happening here and how he retold this to Mark is, how, is why Mark is choosing to word it this way. That it appeared to those in the boat that Jesus was strolling on by them until they cried out in fear. But if we keep reading the text, we see what Jesus was really trying to help the disciples see here. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. When we connect Jesus passing by with how he reveals himself to them, we see what he was doing here. This is Jesus revealing his glory to the disciples at a time when he felt they needed it the most. For context on this, we need to go back to the Old Testament again this week, just as Matthew did last week. There are two other occasions where we see something similar happen, notably in Exodus 33 and 1 Kings 19. In both of those occurrences, Moses and Elijah asked God to show them his glory. And God did, but they were not able to see God in the fullness of his glory because it would have killed them. But the 12, they get to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now understand, this is the fourth watch of the night. So this is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It is pitch black out on the water, but they see something. And what they see is enough to make them think it's a ghost. So Jesus is revealing who he is to them in a supernatural way. And we see this in how he identifies himself to them when he says, it is I. And this connects back to the Old Testament as well. This is Jesus saying that he is Yahweh. I am that I am. How can he walk on the water? How can he calm the storm and the sea? Because he's the God of the universe that cares enough to come to those that are his when they need his help the most. And notice how he makes this declaration to them with words of comfort. Take heart. 
Be of good cheer. Be encouraged. Why? Because He is. And this is the best news that any of us could hear. Why can we have hope? Why can we endure? Why? Because He is. Friends, please understand this is massive. This is no small or insignificant thing. The God of the universe took on human flesh and entered the world that He created so that He could draw near to those who would need Him the most. And remember, Mark's urgency is getting us to the place where our need is met by the one who is. Because as great as it is that Jesus could walk out on water to help the twelve, that still didn't take care of their greatest need. No, that would come later as Jesus would go to the cross, taking our sin on himself, dying the death we deserved, and then rising from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave, so that through faith and repentance we can be saved from something far greater than a windstorm on a lake. The same God who had compassion on the crowd with no food and the disciples on the lake has great compassion for his children. And we see that in how he offered himself to save those that are his. John Piper says it like this. He says, so hunger can kill you and wind can kill you. If hunger is about to kill you in the wilderness, you could be saved by someone who can give you bread. If wind is about to kill you on the sea, you could be saved by someone who can walk on water. And This is who he is. And that is enough. And I wish we could end there because that's such an exciting, comforting thing. But that's not where the text ends. Because it's not just that we see who Jesus is in this text. No, we see who we are as well. And who are we? Well, as we see in this text, we are hopeless and hard-hearted. Look at verses 51 and 52. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I hope the way this passage ends encourages you. I know, that sounds weird, right? Blake, their hearts were hard. How is that encouraging? I get it, I really do, but I promise you, there is much encouragement here. And why is this encouraging? Well, it's encouraging because that is the word that Jesus speaks to these hard-hearted followers. Notice it is not a word of rebuke or a word of chiding. No, he tells them to lift up their hearts and be of good cheer. We'll see in Mark 8 that the disciples are still having a hard time understanding who Jesus is. Jesus in that passage is going to remind them again of what he did by feeding the 5,000. So he knows their hearts are hard and that they are having a hard time believing and understanding. And yet how he moves toward them is in mercy and grace. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. This is what Danny Aiken says about this in his commentary on Mark. He says they, re they received no rebuke from their master, the compassionate shepherd. He knows they still have much to learn and endure. He will not give up on them. Praise God. He did not give up on us in our ignorance and hard-heartedness either. 
So some encouragements for all of us today, no matter how we find ourselves here. If you are here today and right now you are overflowing in God's mercy and grace that he has shown you in Jesus. You are just welling up. You are a vat that is full. You are spilling out compassion and love and mercy and grace on everyone that you come in contact with. Be encouraged and continue storing up bucket after bucket of that mercy and grace for when the wind and waves begin to form against you. Because they will. Continue in God's presence. Delight in God's presence. Enjoy God's presence. And pray for a tender heart that is always easily moved by the compassion and glory of Jesus. If you are here today, and you are in Christ, and you have tasted His grace, But now you have been beaten up and weathered by the waves and the wind of life. Be encouraged. Know that the same Lord who moved on these, on this sea, as they battled the wind and the waves, He moves toward you and whatever you are battling as well. Think of the calluses on the hands of these fishermen. Tough as leather and almost immune to feeling of any kind. Know that even if that is the condition of your heart, the balm of the gospel can break open and soothe and heal and give new life and feeling to you today. Do not forsake his mercy. Remember what he has done and be encouraged that he will Do it again. Charles Spurgeon says this in a sermon on this text. Hard hearts and painful unbeliefs spring up in the waste places where we bury our forgotten mercies. Do not forget His mercy and know that He has not forgotten you. And finally, if you are here today and you don't know Christ and have not repented of your sin and placed your faith in Him, just as Jesus made his, well, his way to the twelve on the sea, he makes his way to the hearts of those that are his. Today, see and confess your sin. See your unbelief and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Confess your sin and in faith and repentance, trust in Christ to save you. As he saved the twelve on the sea from that peril, he still saves souls in peril today. Would you trust him? Would you trust him? However we find ourselves here today, our encouragement is to be encouraged. To be encouraged by who he is. Not by anything that we can do, but in all that God has done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this text. We thank you for what it reveals about your kind and compassionate heart. We thank you for what it reveals about how you move towards those who need you the most. And Father, regardless of how we are here today, we all are in desperate need of you. We need your sustaining grace. We might be needing your saving grace. Father, we know that you are ready to meet us in our need today. Would we respond in faith and would we run to you as you are running to us to meet us where we are? 
Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.